This is the Saxo Market Call, daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Wednesday, 23rd of November, 2022. Markets, uh, the market move improving yesterday. We saw a pretty sh uh, sharp rally, taking the S&P back to the 4,000 level. And as I note in the uh, the headline on slide two in today's slide deck, financial conditions are easing. It's quite interesting, I think, uh, given the FOMC minutes up today, if there's any sort of commentary in there uh, about or any remarks on the, the status of financial conditions, if they get much easier here, we're going to be getting back to levels of May of this year. It's pretty remarkable given the amount of tightening we've put in uh, since then. Let's recall that June was the first of uh, four 75 basis point hikes, uh, and yet financial conditions are uh, close to the easiest of the cycle since uh, since May. If there was a dip in August that was slightly better than, than where we are now, according to the Chicago Fed's national, uh, sorry, the Chicago Fed's uh, financial conditions index. Uh, Peter, where I guess some of the, the high beta stuff that's been doing really poorly, you would expect it to do really well yesterday, but it doesn't really seem to necessarily be the case on the equity theme baskets uh, overview. We can see there on slide two. So bubble stocks, if they're supposed to be high beta of the market, they should be posting a good day when we're having a good day for the market. But they only they didn't. They certainly weren't the best in the, in the positive category. No, it, it, yesterday, as you can see on the uh, the overview there on uh, of our theme baskets, um, if you look at the year to date, or if you look at the year to date or, or one year, uh, you can see that the best performing in the in the upper third of the, the table were the ones that have the best relative performance, maybe except for uh, semiconductors. So it was, you know, um, it was a day driven by momentum. So the stocks that have been the strongest uh, this year were doing great yesterday, and Tesla barely managed to to pull a gain for the session, despite uh, you know rather strong. I mean, if you look at the S and P five hundred, I mean, you had a almost a full full bar up and uh, the highest close since um, first week of September. So so very strong there, and we we talked about it. You know, this this phenomenon that you know, despite I could find plenty of reasons for why not buying this market. Uh, you know, doesn't seem like there's a lot of energy on the on the among the bears because they're already sitting on 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 strong gains. So why take a lot of risk? Why not just you know stay idle, close the close the year, and then start uh, afresh uh, five weeks from now? So there might be there might be some 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 leaning towards the the bulls being in control uh, leading into the to the uh, to new year but I, and i find yesterday's session uh, odd in the sense that we we got the leading indicators from the us so um slide 3 the 6 months average is uh, is a pretty good smooth indicator of where this uh, where these leading indicators are and and we are at the the uh, the lowest level since uh, of course the the pandemic but if we strip that out you have to go back to the financial crisis but we are exactly at the same level as December 2007, which is the official starting date of the U.S. recession before the Great Financial Crisis, and if you look at the decline, the speed of decline here in that six-month moving average, it it has the same trajectory as back in 2007. So, uh, unless, and that's always the case, you know, an economy, it's an ever-evolving system, it's a complex system, so you can never really have uh, leading indicators that are the best fit for what's coming. So it might be that there are some disturbances or some errors in these leading indicators, but I would highlight that you know, given where we are here, it it, it we are potentially flirting with a recession within a short time period here. Uh, I don't know what you what you're saying, John, but um, it to me this doesn't look very well for for the U.S. economy. No, it doesn't look well. I have the, and but it's a very devilishly difficult problem because you have a lot of 
differences this time around with, uh, of course, yes, the yield curve is inverted, but um, you've also had this crazy uh, pandemic cycle, which saw the bull, the so-called bullwhip effect of the shock and then the overwhelming stimulus response, and then maybe a bit of a hangover after that. Um, it's just so difficult to time these things. Uh, and I would just add that uh, you can you can look at that one, but you can also look at things like that late 2007, we have to recall the market was peaking out, uh, actually posted a peak in October, the uh, the month after we had the surprise 50 basis point move by the Bernanke Fed, uh, 50, ba- uh, 50 basis point rate cut because the market was celebrating easy Fed. Well, look how easy the Fed had to get before it could shore up the damage all the way into early 2009. I think it's probably a, a slightly uh, similar situation or echo of that situation. You have the market really uh, champing at the bit to anticipate the Fed rollover, which it may be doing, and it may be right in doing that in terms of the deceleration. But again, as we've said so many times, and I'm almost tired of hearing myself, what are the reasons behind that deceleration? And that would be a worsening economy. And and one metric I would use, as I think I've mentioned it before, would be the six-week average, for example, the jobless claims, you know, really starting to emphasize that uh, that uh, the labor market is softening up, and that's really going to impact growth when people's paychecks uh, are not coming in. Uh, that six six week rolling uh, jobless claims getting above two hundred fifty thousand, and we just you know we're we're far away from that. We're not even anywhere near two hundred fifty thousand. We're still in the low two hundreds at this point in time. So yeah, it, it's just so difficult to time, but it's important to continue to track these types of um, uh, these types of uh, indicators to see where we are, and and then elsewhere, I think. What are we seeing in the you know the message to me in the commodities market is also one of concern uh, of forward demand. Certainly, we had the the pump in some commodities, but we're we're still kind of limping here, and I have to imagine some of that is about the the forward demand fears. That's right, John. Uh, but at the same time, the uh, the the supply situation is once again uh, what what potentially is going to hold these uh, prevent these markets from uh, from from falling. I put in a chart of Dr. Copper. I know we we, we have we uh, we had, we took a look at him as, as well yesterday. But uh, since then, we've uh, there's a we've had a commodities summit in um, in Singapore organized by the FT, and uh, yesterday the world's top trader uh, copper trader Trafigura, uh, that CEO. Basically said that they're seeing a demand, uh, a shift in demand growth away from China to Europe and the U.S., uh, driven by the green, uh, the, the green trend or the, the yeah the green transformation. And that's basically uh, what uh, what we we also been talking about for a while. That uh, yes, China's uh, demand is potentially will be slowing as their property sector slows down, but there's uh, ample ample demand for copper elsewhere in the world. We 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 got stories from around Europe where basically the, the electrical grid is struggling to keep up with the demand uh, the, the surge in demand for electricity, and uh, that basically requires a massive amount of infrastructure investment, and that requires a lot of copper. So so that's that basically just uh, supporting our our view that this market is is uh, long term a, a a market that potentially could uh, could rise quite a bit further. I put in the high grade copper here on, on in today's chart because it's the one we can trade on the platform. But if you look at LME copper, which is currently trading just above eight thousand dollars, I'm I'm starting to see some of the forecasts rolling in from some of the major investment banks. And so far, I've seen uh, calls anywhere between six thousand to the downside and twelve thousand to the upside for next year. And that's just that that just highlights. The uncertainty in the market with regards to the to the short-term direction of of this market but long term it looks like the one that's going to be underpinned and then on the crude oil front uh somewhat of a similar situation uh, uh although we had that bizarre dump and then pump on the uh stories of the saudi uh output boost that were were denied by official sources there uh eventually and i guess that's more on the multiple year time frame 
you're going to expect if we do succeed with the electrification of the economy or, or a bit much of transport, they're going to see reduced demand in the crude oil space. But uh, I guess it is all about that supply situation, which is the, really the big driving concern in, in crude oil. And, and we're heading into this key date, December 5th as well, with the Russian uh, attempt to do a Russian price cap. Exactly. And, uh, and the, the, the $5 move up and down, uh, $4 move up and down on, on Monday just highlights the uncertainty in the market right now, where we just got multiple um, major uh, uncertainties, both on the supply and demand side. Demand side, obviously, right now focusing on China, the, the near record the rise in, uh, in daily case counts, 48 cities now uh, under some kind of uh, restrictions of, in movements having an impact on demand potentially to the to the tune of what OPEC had had cut production by this uh, this month that's how, how much potentially China's uh, could see its its demand slow uh, during the same time but we obviously expect that to be temporary so the focus uh, today will be on this um, this price cap as you mentioned John uh, the EU uh, politicians are meeting today um there are talk about a watered down version basically meaning that Russia uh where the price cap is somewhere between 60 and 70 dollars and if we look at the the euro's Brent, uh, euro's Brent spread, uh, which basically, uh, well, how much uh, Russia is, is getting for its oil, oil relatively to Brent, we can see it's tra- already trading at a discount of around twenty-five dollars below Brent. So, if it comes in at seventy dollars, then basically uh, Russia can uh, can uh, is not going to see any slowdown in in its sales of on on that account or, or lower revenues on that account. But what obviously is important is whether Russia decides to uh, retaliate by saying that anyone uh, agreeing to a cap will not receive. Russian oil, and that obviously could would, could could create some could uh, create some additional tightness in the market, and and we're seeing that right now in the the cost of hiring a VLCC, a very large crude carrier, the cost of that is now more, more than a hundred thousand dollars a day. It just highlights the uh, the 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 upheaval we got in in global. Um, supply chains with regards to transporting oil uh, that we're seeing uh, oil being traveled uh, traveling much further distances than we've seen in the past and uh, that's basically jacking up uh, prices for 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 fuel uh, for fuel transport or for oil transportation just finally we've got the EIA report out today uh, the market is looking for the API indicated uh, the crude stocks will drop by almost 5 million barrels. But the focus really is on gasoline and diesel stocks, which you can see on the inserts there on slide six, uh, continues to be well below where we, we normally have uh, inventories ahead of the, the winter period. All right. And then on the wheat front, uh, we, to me, to my mind, seen a remarkably quiet market after an initial huge sprint higher. Uh, into May here, but you've got some interesting comments here on slide seven, or some interesting uh, uh, charts. Yeah, we, we we're looking at the the wheat price for for change. As you say, it has been a relatively uh, it has calmed down in recent uh, weeks and months. But uh, we got some news coming in from Australia where we have flooding uh, hitting yeah. the eastern parts of the country. That's basically a area production area for high protein wheat, which is going to towards human consumption. And that basically means that the spread between uh, high-protein wheat and feed wheat, which is used for animal consumption, that spread has blown out to a record in Australia, highlighting really the the uh, the the, the shortage, uh, the potential shortage of of uh, high-protein wheat. If we move to uh, to Europe, we're seeing the, the the spread between December Paris wheat and the the following months the March contract, which is again December uh, Paris wheat is also milling wheat used for human consumption. That spread has blown out uh, this month uh, to more than eleven euros. Also highlighting very strong demand for for Paris uh, wheat. Some of that, funnily enough, John is actually heading to the U.S. because of the dollar strength. It is uh, some some buyers in the U.S. apparently are picking up wheat from Europe simply because it's relatively cheap given the the strength of the dollar right now. But um, the U.S. situation also looks challenged. 
I, I insert the winter wheat condition. It's the worst in almost 40 years. Uh, they are behind planting. Uh, drought uh, has been the main reason for that. And again, winter wheat in the U.S., that's a hard red, uh, hard red quality, which again is used for human consumption. So all of it, all of it leads to the risk that we that we are potentially facing some challenges next year on the wheat front, just like we saw at the start of this year. All right. We'll have to have a look at that. Uh, on the FX front, uh, not a whole lot to report. Tight dollar correlation with uh, the risk sentiment. So we saw, of course, risk sentiment higher and with the long end of the U.S. yield curve heading a bit lower. That's the ideal combination for a weaker dollar. That's what we got. Still within range, though, still just sort of sitting atop or sitting at the bottom of this uh, uh, this move after the crazy October CPI release and the reaction to that. Uh, waiting for incoming data, we do have quite a heavy load of that, and I'll talk about that on the macro calendar slide a bit later. But um, yeah, I'm not sure what jolts the market here unless something in the FOMC minutes inspires concerns on the financial conditions or risk sentiment front. The big, uh, the biggest single uh, currency item or, or news item uh, overnight was the RBNZ out. So the New Zealand Central Bank or Reserve Bank of New Zealand with the 75 basis point uh, hike. I was a bit surprised they went with 75 uh, accelerating this late in the cycle, but they did so uh, appearing to want to make a point. And guided fairly hawkish. This saw the uh, the peak of rate expectations bumping some 30 basis points higher for, uh, let's call it late spring next year, uh, with the peak rate peak rate now priced at around 5.5% versus the 4.25% that was achieved by this latest hike overnight. And uh, the Kiwi obviously a bit stronger, but it's on, been on quite a sprint lately. So it was not a tremendous move lower, for example, in Aussie Kiwi. Uh, Kiwi dollar, which you can see on slide four, uh, you can see the scale of this rebound, but you can also see the scale of the prior sell-off. Um, yeah, and I think uh, after this move, that's probably we're getting to peak relative hawkishness, I would think, uh, after this move by the RBNZ. And I think it'll then be down to uh, the dollar here uh, to determine whether it's coming back uh, and, or whether we're continuing to see selling because the market continues to celebrate the Fed eventually. Uh, reaching its uh, uh, deceleration point <clears throat> as the market celebrates that uh, slower pace of tightening. But um, yeah, waiting for direction, uh, further direction for the dollar really still after that big move off the October CPI release. All right, Peter, if you haven't fallen asleep listening to us jawboning on commodities and FX, we need to get back to the equity market. A very interesting story out of China on uh, uh, on Apple and this, uh, uh, this protest about uh, COVID policies and, and the disruptions there. Yeah, we have these ongoing this ongoing situation in China where if there is an outbreak, COVID outbreak on a, at a factory, um, you will have uh, you know uh, you will have government uh, official officials or you know the people that are there to control the uh, the the pandemic. They they will arrive at the factory, and in in some cases, you are not allowed to leave the factory, uh, trying to contain it at that factory. And apparently, and there's a lot of uh, uh, news and pictures uh, circulating around this. Apple is one of their major uh, largest manufacturing plants in China. There's been a violent unrest at this plant. Um, so I, I think it just highlights this supply disruption risk. And, and right now in China, the, the number of uh, lockdowns and curfews uh, are higher than it has been uh, for quite some time. So the uh, the whole reopening uh, seems to be uh, not as smooth a uh, journey as the market was hoping and celebrating just a couple of weeks ago. So this is definitely something to to follow, uh, especially also for Apple in trading today. It's, it's it's a stock that is still holding up pretty well, as you can see here on slide eight on the five year chart. And then Credit Suisse out this morning with uh, Dia Dia News uh, guiding another one point six billion loss. 
in uh, for the fourth quarter. They have lost or they have had net outflows. Uh, so it the, the wording here on the slide, uh, Dave, is a little bit uh, confusing maybe. But they have had a 6% net inflow decline. So that's an outflow in percentage of AOM since Q3. They're also laying off a third of their investment banking employees in uh, in China. And that comes after they just announced that they were going to expand uh, you know, much more in, in China. And now they actually... You know, reducing their their footprint in China, so <clears throat> a lot of uh, a lot of noise around uh, Credit Suisse still. And then we had the earnings from H uh, and P. We talked about it in the uh, uh, you know an earnings preview of that yesterday's podcast. And um, their uh, the Q4 figures, which ended in October, were in line with estimates. Their outlook for next year guiding to the weak side, but the shares were still up in extended trading. They're putting out this guidance that they will lay off four thousand to six thousand employees. Um, as I said in our internal call. They set themselves this target over a two-year horizon. I think that really misses the boat in terms of they want to signal that they have a focus on cost. But when you do it over two years, it's just simply too slow, uh, given where PC sales and technology enterprise spending is headed. And if these leading indicators are suggestive of where the economy is going, I would suspect that this uh, this uh, very slow execution from HP guided is, is, uh, is just it's just not good enough, basically. And if we if we move to the earnings calendar on slide nine, it's um, there's not a lot of action today. In the U.S. session, the focus will be on Deere, which is this uh, the largest uh, one of the largest U.S. manufacturers of uh, agricultural and and forestry equipment. And as you can see, uh, five year chart here, it, it, it the stock price is still very close to its uh, its highest level. Uh, momentum, pricing power, still very strong. Obviously, the high commodity prices that we're seeing in in uh, in across the spectrum uh, of agricultural products uh, you know, are keeping uh, keeping the pricing power of farmers uh, quite high. So it's, uh, it's a good operating environment. But as you can see as well on the insert there, uh, the quarterly figures, the growth rate is double, double digit uh, for, for the quarter in October and also in the current quarter we're in, but then already um, around uh, the uh, February to April months of next year, uh, revenue growth is expected to decline to only three percent. So the the uh, the good fortune of the area uh, is is changing, and they are coming back to more normal growth rate for this type of company. Okay, <clears throat> that takes us to the macro calendar. Then on uh, slide ten, you can see the overview, and we're getting the first of these eurozone preliminary November PMI figures in. They're generally a little bit firmer. Well, for France and Germany, we've got. Uh, so the French manufacturing outperforming at 49.1 versus the 47.2 uh, in October. And the services uh, slightly lower than expected, 49.4 versus 50.6 expected and 51.7 in uh, October. Germany, very slightly uh, better on the on the, uh, uh, on the manufacturing side, 46.7 versus 45 expected. And that was around 45 uh, as well in October. Uh, so... It, you know, it's not great, but uh, on the margin, not not a, a terrible worsening. There's not really much reaction in the market here. So uh, I think we're going to be zooming quickly out to the U.S. data uh, later in the session. It's quite a data dump because, again, with the Thanksgiving holiday tomorrow in the U.S. and uh, generally avoiding doing too many data releases on Friday as well, or any data releases on Friday as well, it's all piled up into today. So you can see those on slide 10, mostly second tier stuff, but still watching the highest frequency indicator on the jobs market, the initial jobless claims. The preliminary PMIs, which nobody's used for anything because the, the services one has been <laughs> indicating a recession in services in the U.S., whereas the uh, ISM services has not. So uh, I'm not so sure what we're supposed to do with these and why they're so at odds with the ISM set of surveys. And then the FOMC minutes, a bit more important. And um, 
I don't think there's a lot of anticipation around this FOMC minutes release, but there could be uh, some some you know investigation or consideration of how you know diverse the range of opinions are on how the Fed handles this deceleration. If there's any concern noted on financial conditions being too easy, those kinds of things. But uh, not looking for high impact. I really th- do think it's the market is convinced, and I'm pretty convinced as well that it's about incoming data, and we're just not getting the big stuff until uh, until next week, really. So. Yeah, that's really it. We have the Thanksgiving holiday in the U.S. tomorrow. Most uh, traders are going to be out after really today, even uh, after lunch uh, and through the weekend. So it's a long weekend in the U.S. We have markets in a good move, but we're nervous about the uh, the forward outlook and when the market starts to absorb the uh, or the implications of an oncoming recession. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at SaxoMarketCall or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>